You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Hey, everybody. It's Blaine here. Uh, appreciate you uh, joining in today. And I've got a special guest, a uh, friend of mine from Louisiana, a uh, guy that I've gotten to fish with. Got to hang out with him this, this past March at the Sheepy Tournament. Um, it's Captain Bailey Short. Hey, Captain, how you doing, man? Pretty good. Just getting, uh, I was like speeding down the road to make sure I got in here to record this on time. And uh, I have successfully sweated through everything, um, changed clothes in like 30 seconds, and now I'm here. So we're doing good. I'm still yeah. stale, playing. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be hotter than hell out there right now. It It is brutal. You know, we're doing like uh, like sun sunrise start time, and by like noon, you know, we're winding down and the fishing is too i mean i saw water temp uh coming in at like 95 96 today which is just unreal like you start seeing water temperatures that you're not even sure like how does it get that hot i mean this morning it was legitimately like 91 92 at the boat ramp and you're just like oh no this is not good we need to find fish in deeper water (laughs) i mean we would think well we can get into all that stuff a little bit later but you would think that's got to affect fish in the fishery you know, I mean, a lot oh, yeah. here with my fishery, especially freshwater, stuff like that. I mean, it's dissolved oxygen, all that kind of stuff. It's got to mm-hmm. play a role in everything. You got to get probably closer out to the fresh, you know, the ocean. And Yeah, you know, I, I like to fish further. But and then, you know, basically, like, if you are catching a fish after like a certain time of day, you know, we're like water releasing it and you're not getting pictures unless it's in the water. <laughs> Cause <Yeah. laughs> you know, you just worry about them. I mean, it's hot and and it's uncomfortable. Luckily it's uncomfortable for the anglers too. So I don't have to do much convincing <laughs> when the fishing starts getting bad. I'm like, all right, let's go. Everybody's uh, on the edge of heat stroke here. <laughs> so yeah. you just last so you're, as you're, long as you can. You're not having any epic no patches. You getting into that mess? <laughs> no, you know, I here's the thing about Louisiana. It gets so hot here that even the bugs choose to not survive in this type of uh these conditions. So it's uh Blaine remember no bugs. Rem- Blaine, remember those were those were weeseums because they were the <laughs> biggest they were the biggest no I've I've ever encountered in my life. Well it's and hard to when you have a billion of them on your clothes, you know. Well, it's, yeah. That time of year is the worst time for it, man. I mean, I tell people all the time that that winter, like early spring, you are going to get destroyed by bugs. And this time of year, I mean, we don't have anything. You might have some horse flies, but like they're pretty easy to, you know, stay out of. But it is weird. It gets so hot, everything dies except for the fish, <laughs> I guess. Well, for those of you who don't know, we're talking about the sheep eternally. Went down and fished with him and trying to bring more awareness to that fish species. Uh, Tony and I went down there and had a great time. So did Cody. Um, so, you know, that was always a good time. But obviously, March, like you said, that was just a brutal time for the bugs. Right. So um, oh, yeah. that was a great time, though. We put some we put some fish in the boat at the last second. Tony, Tony's kind of like 
literally what was it, a minute left in the turn there was like 30 <laughs> seconds left man and it, it is it is the quintessential never give up never surrender right fight till the last second man yeah that's well, good and as usual it had the uh you know the drama going on of like the first fly we put on one of blaine's like changer crawls like we throw out a sheep beat blaine put like a perfect shot fish doesn't even look at it and so i'm like take that off like don't let me even see that thing again. <laughs> the yeah. rest of the day, Blaine's like, well, maybe we should try that again. And then, like, <laughs> finally we put it back on the first fish we throw at, it eats. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> this is not good. And then I'm like, dude, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was so, there were so many confused emotions. I was so happy and so upset that the fish ate <laughs> at that moment. Oh, it always works that way, it seems like, especially with, like, Sheep's Head. I mean, come on. I was going to say there's no reason for anyone to be offended on this podcast because those things are those things are full-blown jackasses, right? <laughs> I mean, like, who knows why? I love those things. I mean, and, you know, we here in the Chesapeake Bay uh, where I live, I mean, we've got the freaking mongos. Um, I mean, the biggest in the world. Really? Um, also not picking on you. We also got the biggest redfish in the world too. So yeah, I don't know. Did you see that one I put up uh, like two days ago? That thing was a freaking beast. So you know, come on now, we could we could go toe to toe on that. I just gotta find. Oh, this is this gonna bring me into it because uh, I know you're a competitive guy. Um, oh yeah, I didn't know this, so we're gonna talk a little bit about yourself. But before we talk about your fishing, I want to get into uh, that. Did I hear that you were you uh, played football for LSU? Is is that correct? Well, so I would not go as far to say that I played. I was on the team for a short stint. Uh, I did play. Um, I was uh, track and field, and um, I was on the team for a little bit. I had some hamstring issues, and uh, that kind of kept me from ever you know, going anywhere with it. But played sports my entire high school career going into, uh, going into college. I was a big uh, basketball player. Um, as well as football. And then also I was a triple jumper and uh triple jump was kind of my, uh, it, I didn't have a coach in high school, but it ended up being something I was pretty good at. And that's kind of what got my foot in the door with all that stuff. But yes. And um, Bailey bro, and Bailey, you were on, you were on the same LSU squad as uh, Odell Beckham jr. Right. Yeah. Odell and Jarvis and uh, played uh, high school ball with, uh, around those guys quite a bit summer leagues and stuff like that um so i'll never you know. i'll never forgive him to being for being mean to eli uh but he's <laughs> he was one hell of a receiver in his prime man i'll never forget the first time i ever met him was in a uh, basketball tournament and he was like i was like i, I was six four that i am now as like a sophomore in high school and he was like a sophomore in high school but was like considerably smaller than me and I was like, oh, okay, this, you know, whatever. And like people were talking about how athletic he was. And, like the first play of the game, they like threw him an alley oop and he just jammed it. And I was like, oh, it's going to be that kind of game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's so, a hell of an athlete. That's for sure. Oh, man. yeah. Well, it, he, you know, guys like that, uh, it's always kind of cool to see players that are uh, that caliber of athlete, I guess. They can play any sport they want and just dominate. And that was definitely the case with him. <laughs> pretty great yeah no, i hear you so what what was what what did you play what, what were you a receiver yeah uh, i was wide receiver um i played wide receiver my dad played tight end at louisiana tech and uh so you know i'm 
grew up running routes in the backyard every day. Next, next thing you're going to say is he played with. Uh, yeah, I was getting ready to say with Phil. Played no, with actually, Phil, he was like Phil right behind. I think it was right behind Phil Robertson. Like he was a little bit older. I think I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure that's what my dad said. But uh, we're, we're yeah, also he getting, played there. Yeah. Wait, what? So, also, our Mister uh, Mister Steeler himself too, right? Um, Bradshaw. Bradshaw was there oh, as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I I think that was a little bit before my dad's time, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean. The sports thing was kind of, uh, you know, just what I grew up doing, basically, um, for sure. Uh, and that started to transition into the fly fishing stuff. Uh, you know, I guess coming out of high school, going into college, I had always been big into fishing. I had, like, negotiated with my coaches that they'd let me skip a little bit of time here and there to go fishing with my dad uh, because like I basically had like two weeks a year that I wasn't doing sports activities. Um, but I'd be like, look, I got to take some time. Me and my dad are going to go fishing. And, and that was always a big deal to me. But then I got into fly fishing and that kind of transferred all my like sports energy into that <laughs> shortly after. So whenever I was having a uh, hamstring problems, I was uh, totally fine with transitioning into uh fly fishing more getting to fish more i was ready to go well that's, so. that sounds like me too man i played sports my whole life you know leading into you know high school and all that kind of stuff playing in high school um so i get it but my focus quickly became fishing and uh right. obviously it, it came into your your world as well so let's move into that man what uh you know i know you you're passionate about fly fishing first and foremost but being a captain you kind of be you got to be good at all aspects of it and i'm i'm sure you probably started with conventional you know spinning and whatever bait casting and all that kind of stuff but tell me tell me how tell me a little bit so everybody kind of gets to familiar with your background and, and how you got started fishing we all kind of like to learn that a little bit and then we're gonna yeah move into so, other stuff <clears throat> uh you know i was a big bass fisherman growing up uh well, actually, I mean, I guess if I was really going to think about it, I, I grew up fishing the coast down here with my my uncle and my father, uh, fishing a lot around Grand Isle, Leeville, um, you know, the places we had kind of a little family camp and um, just fishing the salt growing up, you know, like speckled trout, redfish under, you know, using bait as a kid. Um, but it was funny. I can distinctly remember like probably like 12, like 11, 12 years old, getting into bass fishing, like seriously, because of the technique involved in like, you know, learning how, like catch them on artificial stuff, like learning different lures, learning how to, you know, use different, whatever, catching them on spinner baits, catching them on rattle traps, soft plastics, jigs. And like, I got consumed from like, until I was like 16, I would say, 17, um, I was like bass fishing. We would go up to Toledo Bend in North Louisiana, which is a giant big time bass lake. Um, my dad would see, I was lucky. My dad was super into fishing too. So like he was very happy to facilitate my, uh, <laughs> my fishing addiction. And so we would, uh, we'd go up there and I would like, as a kid, just, we would find out how to catch fish a certain way. And I would immediately want to go do like, okay, you know, we figured out how to like work the jigs and the grass for bass. Let's go figure out how to work like crankbaits off the deep points. Let's go figure out how to run rattle traps off the grass flats. And it was, for me, it was like, 
it, it was re- very apparent thinking back on it now. It was all about that, like learning the new technique, learning how to target them a different way. And that's what was actually giving me most of the like, you know, uh, satisfaction, I guess, uh, was the figuring out new ways to catch them. I, I like distinctly remember like days fishing in the neighborhood ponds, like trying out a different lure. Like I remember the first time I got on a really good like buzz bait bite afternoon it was late in the day i had bass like cruising the the edges looking for stuff and like i started throwing like a buzz bait and i was just smashing like you know big bass and it was like oh man i'm figuring something out like that was like the addicting part for me was like you know learning these uh these different tactics so when fly fishing uh came around that was kind of like the next challenge right I just got to a thing where I was like, okay, this is something new. Let me figure out how to do this. And and that's where that kind of went. You know, Bailey, I used to fish Toledo Bend to family had a, so t- I want to take a step back because you're saying stuff that's like in the normal. Bringing you back. Ac- but yeah, <laughs> we're going, we're taking it all the way back. So you, you're saying stuff like, oh, we had a camp, da, 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 da. Culturally that, you know, people from the South understand that word, but a lot of our listeners are from wherever a camp in Louisiana could be everything from like a one room shed to a pontoon boat turned into a mobile home or a mobile home or a really, really nice place with a lot of land. (laughs) But you know, if it's public land, it is not uncommon for somebody to literally pull up a pontoon boat tied up to a couple of cypress trees and you know that's kind of like your family's camp and you run like a john boat to it and so like it's just culturally for people from louisiana or tennessee or mississippi you know that camp thing is a way of life and it's kind of like the family disconnecting you know not like you had to disconnect when i was growing up because there was no connection but it's kind of like yeah this is where we're gonna this is where everyone goes on the weekend and kind of everyone had a camp right i mean it's 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 weird. Yeah, the the place we went was like uh basically like a two room like uh shed <laughs> out on the on the edge of the bayou and you know there was like a little gathering of different of a bunch of people that had had little buildings like that and unfortunately it got wiped like completely wiped off the face of the earth like they all do at some point if they're not like a mobile home or way up on stilts or like built like a castle and uh you know that was just kind of I remember going as a kid, it was like the crickety floorboards, like kind of just pieced together, you know, a bed and a window unit. Occasional <laughs> water box. <laughs> yeah, wasn't much to it. But, you know, those were, that was the, you know, the genesis. Wasp, for it, wasp nest when, you, when you're not there oh, yeah. for a couple of days. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it yep. was sketchy. <laughs> but also, I mean, a lot of what you're saying, too, I can relate to that because, I mean, that's kind of how my brain is always ticked, you know, taking stuff from the conventional world and uh, adapting that to the fly. But um, that also set you up for what you do now as a, as a guide is it it taught you how fish react positively or negatively to what you throw at them. Right. So it's, you know, so you can obviously relate that to transitioning into the fly world right but also like you're saying with the rattle traps and spinner baits and glide baits and soft plastics and all that kind of stuff to also set you up for 
the salt water because that whole bass scene, and I believe this um, wholeheartedly, it's like bass teaches you so much about other fish species. Oh, yeah. um, I grew up smallmouth bass fishing, uh, largemouth bass fishing, and you know a lot of the well-known fly anglers in our community, people like Bob Clouser, Lefty Cray, they cut their teeth on bass, you know, mm-hmm. and and look look where those people uh, ended up in their careers. And I think it's a yeah it's, river river bass too, Blaine smallmouth. Oh, yeah. well, you know, that's a that's yep. tough. That's a man when that water's moving in those rivers and rain and no rain and all the different all the different factors that go into that. You know, Lefty Lefty and Clouser. I mean, a hundred percent smallmouth all the way. Yep. On tough rivers. Yep. But what it does is it teaches you a lot about fish behavior because you got to adapt to those, those, those specifically their environment and how they change. And for me, rivers, and that's kind of what I did mostly, but it also sets you up for tide, you know, tidal conditions that you have on flats and all that. You understand moving water and start oh, yeah. reading the water, all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure, you know, in a lot of those lakes, especially in the South, you have tailwaters that create moving water as well. Um, I don't know if you have, you have, I mean, in Louisiana, oxbows. it's more yeah. oxbows, yeah. It's oxbows, well, like, but they're connected Bend, to the river. They're all connected. Right. And Toledo Bend has a dam. So, yeah. yeah Toledo Bend's like giant. Like, I mean, it is very big. So those fish have like every kind of habitat situation you can imagine. I'll never forget. Like, you know, I, I remember really distinctly, we figured out like one area and we could fish it like really consistently. We could like for like a season, we were like always catching fish and then stuff changed. And all of a sudden we couldn't find fish. And I remember like, okay, this is like, that was like one of the first times of really seeing like, all right, fish move around. You can't just like throw the same soft plastic worm on this bank every day and you're going to catch fish. You got to, you know, understand how is the temperature affecting it, you know, the bait is moving around. They're feeding on something different now. They've changed their behavior. And oh, ba- yeah, Bailey, was... how about how about the Mississippi in the spring? And I tell people all the time we would launch boats and oxbows off the Mississippi, like in in northern Mississippi. And in the springtime, you would be in the tops of the cypress trees mm-hmm. when the river yeah. flooded, and then in the summer, you would launch, and you'd remember like three months before. You're driving over there. Your motor hit the top of the tree. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, like, why is that ramp a quarter of a mile long? And you're like, well, because that's where the water goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy to see, you know, just the way it's such an interesting thing. I, I And I get this question all the time kind of talking about like, you know, what I do now with, with redfish. It's like, you know, why are we fishing where we're fishing? We drove by a bunch of really good looking water. It's like, well, you know, there's a lot of habitat. The fish move around, habitat changes, you know, depending on tide and wind and all that stuff. And it's like, you're, you're all, every day is a variable game of fish. Like I always say, there's two different sets and there's the weather variables and then there's the fish variables. And the best days when all that lines up and the weather allows you to get on the fish doing what they're doing and you're in, that's the golden time. But so often it's like, well, the fish might be kind of doing this, but you know, the winds kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like, are the way the tide is, we can only do so much or we have to be here and yada, yada, yada. So it's, 
but it also teaches about bait. So you got to find where the bait, the bait, you find the bait, you're going to find the predators and the bait's going to move where they're comfortable. Salinity, you got all that stuff, freshwater, saltwater, salinity levels, pH, all that. I mean, you got to think of all kinds of stuff, right? Well, for instance, like the last three days I've been guiding, I have watched uh, the redfish and jacks move from feeding on uh, exclusively mullet three days ago. Um, then yesterday it was like a pogey uh, mullet like mix. And then today they like they like kept progressing like further north up this little like coastline that they've been kind of we've been fishing. And today they were on like exclusively on like big, like big old shrimp. Uh, and it was interesting, their behavior changes when they do that, right? And you have to target them a little bit differently. Um, they're moving faster when they're chasing the bait fish. When they're on the shrimp, they're kind of chill, and, and you can kind of work your way up in them a little bit easier. And it's really cool to see, like, just that's like a perfect example of what you're talking about there, for sure. I, I just want to I want to put a pin in this. But it appears that uh, our brand, our brand uh, communications director, uh, is may challenge Bailey to a game of one-on-one basketball the next time we're all down in Louisiana. Oh no, um, Cody! Cody just let me know. Cody's he's a little bit younger than you, Bailey. Like you know, think yeah, of that hamstring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna sound like Uncle Rico. I used to be able to throw that ball over the mountains. <laughs> I need a. I'm gonna have to do some like yoga for like a week before this happens I'll probably Deep stretching, my, one of my man. legs will blow off like in a my python or something i'll be done we'll just do it uh, we'll just do a shooting contest how's that sound <laughs> yeah sedentary and, only cody let's play no horse way. right <laughs> me, and, me and me and blaine will hold the bench down uh in case there's a gust of wind and drink beer and and critique there you guys. Go. okay that sounds good i might join y'all on that prospect yeah. quickly <laughs> yeah. yeah so um this is going to get me to kind of some stuff i really want to talk to you about you know you've been a a huge proponent for asg asga down there in louisiana with all the stuff that's going on right um and i know you've you, you how many so let's how how many years you've been guiding now down there um i'm getting close to 10 years now i'm on uh i'm on nine so i'm i'm approaching 10 um yeah so go ahead no i was gonna say so with that nine and a half ten years um i'm sure you've seen a lot of changes and um you know not not just environment but fish you know all that kind of stuff you've seen omega come in you've seen all kinds of different things you've seen the the estuary kind of get depleted uh, with, mm-hmm. you know, losing territory with the grass, the marsh is disappearing, all that kind of stuff. So tell me a little bit about your opinion. I mean, I know there's so many, there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about um, that I have questions for. And, and I also know some of your answers, but I want you to kind of share with the audience a little bit about things that you see. And, you know, it's such an amazing fishery down there. Um, I've been going down there for 10 years or so myself. And uh, I've seen changes just, you know, being there for a couple of days to a week or two weeks out of a, uh, you know, at a time, um, you know, not, I don't, things aren't always terrible. You know, there's always some highlight, you know, some things that you're good and, you know, that you see and things that give you hope, but let's talk a little bit about your feelings about that. And we're going to kind of get into some other stuff that, 
will lead into this. Okay. Well, staying pretty general, I'll give you some good and bad, uh, and then you can be more specific with me. Um, But, you know, look, I, I think I was talking to Tony about this the other day, and I think a general way for me to put this is it has gotten harder and harder on the guide to, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to, I, I wouldn't, I would not say have a good day, but to find the fish that you used to find, you have to work harder. Um, you have to cover more ground. There is a lot more water that, um, doesn't have as many fish in it as it used to, um, due to some of the things that, that you mentioned. I mean, there's, there's definitely some habitat loss. There's areas that you'll go to that, like, it used to be a solid spit of land, and now that thing's blown through, and there used to be a pond inside of this little, like, island, kind of half-island thing, but now it's, like, blown open from erosion, and the whole thing's just getting, you know, blown up with, with that wind coming in from that shoreline that used to be there. For instance, there's that. I mean, you know, it, it's crazy. I mean, it, I've seen it change. I remember when I was first starting uh, fly fishing out there, um, I was, uh, I was like 18, seven, 16, 17, 18 years old. But I really remember when I was, when I was 18, I was out of high school and I, I had like a little 14 foot, uh, skiff, um, that I would skip, uh, you know, doing stuff up at, at school, um, to go fishing <laughs> and, and, um, you could go anywhere and find fish. I mean, it was like ridiculous. I mean, I remember like going out. And fishing around, being like, "Oh, there's bull redfish here. I guess this is good." And and you 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 needed like four different banks for the four different wind directions, and you were pretty good. Um, and now, you know, the level of uh, like thought that goes into my decisions for where I take my clients is immense. I mean, this past week. Uh, what I've been, I was talking to my, my guy who's been fishing with me now for quite a long time. Um, you know, five, six years now of coming down here for like two weeks at a time. You know, I was like, man, I was like, we are like busting our ass right now to find these fish. And he's like, oh, I can tell. Like, you know, you're pulling stuff out. You're going different places. You're trying different things. And, and you can attribute it to all that stuff. I mean, there's, there's more fish getting, getting caught there's more fish getting shot with with bows um you know it's depressing to get to the boat ramp and see you know dead fish all over the marina uh not necessarily redfish they're not killing and like kicking redfish in the water but just all kinds of fish and the clients like what happened you're like oh they just got you know genghis conned last night and shot up by the bow fishing guys so there's stuff like that you know the pogey boats obviously you roll out in a bay and you'll see a pack of dead fish and that's really alarming and scary and 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 you feel bad about that and and there's all of those things but i will say um to kind of like i i think something that sometimes gets lost and and i think this is the best way for me to say it because it's literally this is what's happened to me these last few days it's so easy sometimes to have like a bad stretch of fishing or whatever and everybody starts being like oh my gosh there's no fish left we are, you know, up a creek and X, Y, Z is why. And absolutely, I've seen it change. I work way harder than I used to work. I am like maxing out my angling mental muscles on, on these fish every day, thinking about what to do. 
But for instance, the last few days, I, I, I went and fished some stuff that I haven't fished in over two years. I have not been down there. Um, and I know nobody's been down there. Nobody's been down there. It's a very remote area. It's hard to get to. It's kind of sketchy getting in and out of. It's just tough to fish. And dude, the fish in there, there's first of all, there's like slot fish swimming around in schools, eating whatever you put in front of them. We're doubling up. They're running into the boat because they don't even know what we are. There's big red fish floating around. There's jacks like floating around. Like, you know, it's the old school, like, oh that's, my that's gosh. That's Louisiana I first saw. You're, you know, and, that's, yeah. Yeah. And you see that and it's like, okay, you know, there's still that like secret sauce. You might have to work a little bit harder to find it sometimes. And let me tell you, I work a lot harder. I run my boat a lot more and farther and I'm pushing the limits like daily. But when you find it, dude, it's just like, Oh, like it feel it, it's been recharged battery for me. It's like, you see those fish. I mean, we have fish, like we throw out a fish, hit it in the freaking butt and the fish whips around and nails the thing. You're just like, Oh yeah. Like we're good. <laughs> these, these fish haven't seen anything in a while. So, you know, there's still that stuff that goes on. Uh, that's the Louisiana awesome. I remember. I mean, that's oh, kind of yeah. that was like what got everybody so hyped to go there, man. It's like those fish just had no idea what <laughs> what we were, what anything. It's like they well, ate. <laughs> you get a front row seat at a National Geographic like filming of a documentary. I mean, we it, you just see stuff that's like we were fishing these like mullet rafts the other day that were like miles long, and there's just redfish like just like grenading subway foot long size mullet jumping around and you're just like oh this is really cool <laughs> like, and yeah. you know there's nobody out there there's not there's no one there's three of us fishing there's that's it and it's it's cool right uh, there's still that going on so you know i love here i love hearing that stuff because i mean you know we are always have a tendency to focus on the negative you know but there mm -hmm. are there's still some really positive things that are going on out there you know and i recently have seen that here you know, on the Atlantic coast, you know, not just here in Virginia, but some other places, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, Georgia, uh, just, you know, there's, it's not all negative. And I don't want us to always do that. Cause one, I mean, it makes you think, well, why the hell would I go fishing there again? You know what Absolutely. I mean? So, you know, that's yeah, I think it's important. I think it's really important to acknowledge the, like, you know, the problems that a fishery is facing and, and to be aware and to do things to help them, like what we're doing, obviously. Um, I will talk to anybody so I'm blue in the face about the challenges that we face here as a fishery right now and, and the things that need to happen. But that being said, still really cool out there. Still some, you know, still worth being out there. And as somebody who spent their, like, adult life, you know, dedicating myself out there. Uh, there's still things that I see regularly that are like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. So like, I always try to remind people of that for sure. That's what makes you get up every morning, right? I mean, exactly. that's, and that's also why it's worth fighting for because you know, and that's the thing, that's what we are fighting for. We want our kids to see the things that we, we've seen, right? Completely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know Tony feels that way. And, you know, uh, so, the, so the jack thing, you know, I love those. I love jacks. But part of what I want to I want to hear a little bit about this, not trying to get it back in the negative stuff. But I mean, I have soft spots for 
the native fish species uh, that that don't get the highlight that they deserve, like bowfin and and alligator gar and stuff like that. And I'm sure you're seeing a lot of those fish getting shot, you know, and killed. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure, I'm, like a lot of states, there's not great regulations on those fish, and they've been there for eons. And it's to me, that's just as sad seeing that happen as it is seeing redfish and and you know sheep's head or whatever else that's getting shot or whatnot. I mean, it's just you know, there's got to be some there's got to be some boundaries to where you know alligator gar deserve as much respect as any other fish out there, in my opinion. Um, oh yeah. I think they're, they're amazing creatures. I mean, I love pulling up on a, in a pond and seeing a giant alligator gar and throwing a fly to it as much as I would catching a 40 pound redfish, in my opinion. I mean, it, to me, it's, they jump and they, they, they cartwheel and they, they greyhound. They do a lot more cool stuff than a redfish actually does. Oh yeah, they, they, they just smell very bad. <laughs> they, they, they do smell bad. They, yeah, let's not let's not sugarcoat this blame. Come on. <laughs> but, but you know, soda black drum, they stink too, right? So. Oh yeah, they do. Listen, I'm a, you will not find a more pro black drum uh, fly fishing guide down here than me. Like, I mean, today we were catching, we caught a, quite a few, and like my guys, like I don't need to catch another one. I'm like, oh, but you will keep casting <laughs> there's like big ones just tailing away and he's like well can't we find a redfish i'm like we will find it later just yeah. keep going <laughs> so that, I, mean, all, I agree sounds like the black drum fishing's not bad uh is oh, that no. it's yeah. been good i mean you know this time of year uh the black drum are pretty tolerant of like the high water that we get quite a bit of uh in the summer i will say this summer the water's been like on average way lower because we've had more west winds so like there's some stuff going on with that, but uh, yeah, black drum is like I love the black drum more than anybody because they will save your ass so many times when the red fishing slows down. And who doesn't like to look at a 30, 40, you know, 40, sometimes even over 40 pound fish tailing away and just like eat a crab? It. Oh, it's awesome! And same with gar. I always tell clients that the gar is the live fire drill. So, like, if you see a gar, like, we are casting at it because. It is going to get you better at actually taking a shot at a fish, understanding like where it's at in the water column, sinking the fly, where it needs to be, da 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 da. And they're harder. Redfish, you know, as you've seen, will chase something and go get it and blow it up. Gar are careful. Like they have a small mouth. I mean, I've watched Gar swim around with a baby redfish in its mouth for like 10 minutes trying to eat the thing. I mean, they can't get something down that thing that easy. So, like, I, I actually. I've heard something about how like they are very like they're going to make sure that they can swallow it before they like grab it. And you see it with Gar all the time where it's like they'll follow it and get up on it and they're like, eh, look at it. So like they're cool in that regard. I, I'm a, I'm a Gar fan for sure. Yeah. As long as the, worst, to... the worst thing in the world, the worst thing that can happen to your day <clears throat> is a giant Gar eating your two treble hook crankbait while you're bass fishing yes now eating. that is the the treble hooks if that's oh. happening we're not we're not gar fishing <laughs> oh i mean they will they will they're first of all your crankbait's gone second of all good luck good good luck getting a handle on the thing and getting all of those hooks out because they will start thrashing around the second that you think you've got it down I mean, if I if I'm telling you, if one thing taught me how to get hooks out of a fish, 
it was catching gar on rebel deep we are crankbaits when i was bass fishing because i was like i you ain't getting my crankbait me and you are gonna oh, have yes. to talk right i've ripped kid. up a couple nets on gar i have a few nets that are have gaping holes in them from the trying to get a gar in the boat that had no business being in the boat <laughs> yeah well you know i have a fond spot in, in my heart for toothy critters you know and they all have kind of have that same smell though i mean i don't know what <laughs> about, about the toothy fish muskies pike they all have that kind of weird I don't know what it is. Susceptible. It is a strange it's smell. The, you shouldn't be touching this at all because it could just rip your fingers off at any moment. Exactly. But it also ensures <laughs> it's nature's that- way of telling you to stay away, Blaine. <laughs> well, it's like it's like one of those orange and yellow wasps. You just look at it and you're like, man, yeah, you instinctively know that this is a yeah, bad I think, idea. I think I God's sending me a message to go inside right now. <laughs> like, I, I've got this. I've got this saying: "Smart, I ain't." You know, so, <laughs> but well, you yeah. know what, though, it, as soon as you cast one of those and hook up, that's, that ensures that that, that big red's going to float up in front of you oh. and you can't cast to it, right? Either that or go pee off the back, one of the two, and uh, the fish is coming. I mean, <laughs> that is happening. And suddenly you have the wrong, the wrong rod in your hand. That <laughs> <laughs> was getting, you, you took it from me, man. I was getting ready to say, yeah, <laughs> You just you just snip the rod. You just snip the popper off the off the one rod, taking a leak, and you got nothing. You oh, yeah. got nothing. If you do that, that's the trifecta of, of fish manifestation. Yeah, you're like you're like ten, you got the jacks and the reds all around you, and, and you just you got like solid three minutes before you're back in the game, and you're just like, you know what? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I quit, man. <laughs> well, you know, um, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot that goes on in your environment down there. I mean, hell, you got all these big storms that's been coming in. You know, past several years, it changed everything around, which and, and partly I think sometimes cleans cleans things out a little bit, but a lot of times it just makes your job even harder as well. I mean, I mean, it's like you said with everything going on. I mean, you have historic snowpack in California, Montana had yeah. Montana's had a lot of it, and all that stuff. I mean, it ends up in the rivers because yeah. from the melt, you know, and I know for sure. That you guys have been dealing with a lot of fresh water coming down the Mississippi for for years. I know um, the past. I don't know what how long has it been eight eight ten months. It's been kind of kind of lower actually. Yeah, yeah. But surprisingly, uh, I yeah. I found that surprising. But yeah, I mean, when you get that much snow out west, I mean, I get so many clients from that part of the country, and everybody's like, "Oh, we got uh, snow," and I'm like. Yeah, eventually that's going to end up down here and we're going to be, you know, getting chocolate soup everywhere. <laughs> so what's your clarity? Uh, it varies. I mean, like it could, it's in some places, actually, um, I think I was telling uh, Tony this. I found some water the other day that was like 15 foot full blown viz. Like you could see the bottom, wow. like 12, 15 feet. And like we had some, some jack action, some cobia action going on that was like really cool. And, uh, so, you know, it just depends. There's, there's so many variables with that. Now, yes, if you go get around the river, uh, it's going to be muddy. Um, but like, you know, you can get away from that and, and find some clean water. So it, it, it just, it's variable. It just depends on where you're at. And like lately I've been fishing in an area that is kind of, it's not great water clarity, but the fish are happy and they're up on bait that requires them to be up in the water column. And so it doesn't matter. 
because <laughs> they're they're showing themselves even if they're in like really dirty water. So you know, yeah. well, you're always, just you're dealing ahead. with a lot of storm stuff too, right? Over the past, it's been it's been pretty stormy down there too, right? I mean, it, that changes yeah. playing on fishing as well. Yeah, we definitely get the hurt. You know, the hurricane thing is like it's such a double edged deal because. I mean, I think every fisherman down here will tell you after a hurricane, the fishing's usually really good. Um, and why that is, I think there's some refresh, reset button that goes on. I also think there's a lack of pressure for a little while, especially if it's like a kind of a major storm. Um, you get people off the water. I mean, uh, Hopedale Marina, um, I think it was, uh, I don't remember the name of the storm, but whatever larger one came through. Uh, a year or two ago, it knocked Hopedale out for like a month. I mean, we we couldn't launch there, so it's like, you know, uh, it definitely affects. It, it moves stuff around. It can move entire like islands around. And when you go out there after a hurricane, you're kind of sketched out uh, driving. <laughs> you, you know, you're like, okay, oh god, it's starting to get real shallow. Like, keep going. But uh, that kind of stuff can happen. Um, so it definitely it changes the game. I mean, you're you're out there looking around and and trying to figure out the the territory again. And it moves fish sometimes. It moves bait. It moves all that stuff. So it's it's just another challenge. I mean, it's well, not, just not only that, cool. not only those storms. I'm talking about like the daily deluge. That oh, you oh, okay. Yes, um, I constantly am dodging lightning bolts on a regular basis. I mean, I, I tell my mom all the time, which I don't think is a good thing to tell your mom. It's like amazing that I haven't been struck by lightning at this point. <laughs> I mean, dude, lately these storms have been electric. I mean, it's like serious because it's so hot. So like when the storm goes, it's like angry. Uh, so there's like death balls out there of storms coming through it. Yeah. You are dodging those. That's like every day. I mean, every day in the summer, you are like, okay, radar on. How long do we have before this thing blows us up? Like all day long. Lately, it's been actually kind of dry, which has made it insanely hot, but I at least don't have to worry about getting hey, struck I'll, by I'll tell you what, man. The one one thing that's ominous when you go when you're going down to Hopedale is that that surge wall. Yes, the that. zombie wall. The zombie wall. <laughs> I mean, and it, like you, you get on the other side of that thing and you kind of look back at it and you're like, good Lord. Oh yeah. Like that's. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, boy, that says it all, doesn't it? Like. I got to tell you, insurance probably hard to get on the South end of that thing. Oh yes. We have a camp down there and that's a, uh, you don't even want to see that. It's like three different companies and all sorts of crazy shit stuff it's it's crazy you have to have like multiple flood insurances so yeah it's, and y'all uh, are a solid I mean, you gotta be 20 feet off yeah yeah we're like 20 feet 20, off in the air yeah easy 20 feet i was there like yeah that building is actually one of the few buildings that like actually made it through katrina too so that one's pretty uh stout as they say so uh, bailey we've been we've been talking about fishing and everything and i think we got a pretty good idea you know, uh, pretty good idea of, you know, kind of what y'all, what y'all are into day to day. And, and I think one of the biggest takeaways, probably biggest surprises, you know, for our listeners is that I think people associate Louisiana with a winter fishery mm -hmm. and 
I've heard you tell me about a hundred times that, yeah, it's hot, but if you want to see everything Louisiana's got to give, summer's not a bad time to be down there. Yeah. Um, I have for a while now been saying, uh, summer is my favorite, favorite time to fish here. And it's not even close. Uh, you have everything that's going on in the winter with the fish. Uh, you have way less people, which if I keep saying this, maybe that won't be the case, <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's less pressure on the fish. And, you know, this is what I always say to clients. In the summertime, and I, and I do not say this lightly, it, you come out here and it is hard to go a day without having pretty good opportunities to like get into something. Like if you're down to do whatever, if you tell me I'm down to do whatever you think is going to give us some shots, then like we can usually do something. We can either redfish, we can, we can black drum fish, we can cheap set fish. If Blaine comes down, we can go gar fishing. Uh, cause apparently that's all he wants to do. Uh, we can jack fish, you know, there's a lot of different stuff we can do. And, um, that's, what's cool. And, and it's all on just, it's, there's more light in the day. So like, I'll even fish, like, uh, depending on the tide, like I'll do a late afternoon set sometimes and you can get out there and like, there is nothing cooler than like sunset, low tide in the marsh and like 25 pound redfish cruising with their like eyeballs out of the water and you're just like and nobody out there i mean right like nobody out there and and so summertime uh i would say like four years ago five years ago um myself and uh greg moon who's a really good uh buddy of mine and, and almost like a business partner with the way we run our guiding businesses we really started pushing our clients like hey come in the summer and what I started doing with every regular client I had is telling them, try a different time of year. Stop coming. Because you know what? Okay. See, now Tony's just like teeing me off and getting me on a, a thing with this. Like these people, you come down here in Louisiana and fish the same three days in October for seven years. And then they think, oh, I know Louisiana. Well, you don't, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know Louisiana. So it's like uh come down a different time of year try something else and that's when you really start to get the experience of all the different stuff we can do and and that's like a major part of the fishery that to me is awesome i mean like i love the different flavors that you can get into and and, and fall is just one one part of it so you know yeah i call that looking well dahlberg calls that looking through a keyhole yeah you know, so yeah. I mean, it's yeah. They're like, oh, we've been coming. We really understand the uh, you know, the going ons. And I'm like, oh no, like come in July, like check that out. Come in, come in February. Come in, you know, come in March when you guys came and get 40 mile an hour wind one day, and then the next day we can get literally eaten alive by bugs and still dead calm. It's great, <laughs> but you know. I enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy the sheepy thing. It's fun. I love those things. Uh, I like the manic, <laughs> their manic personalities. Spooking from the fly and then turning around and eating it anyway. It's like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I have to tell clients all the time, like they hit them in the face and I'm like, leave it. And the sheep said like runs off and then it like comes back. And it's like, actually, I want that. And you're like, oh, 
Dude, we, wa- we watched it. one, Blaine, we watched one, and, and honest to God, like 40-mile-an-hour winds go down the shoreline, stop, go upside down, and eat its way up a blade of grass. Oh, yeah. Submerged aquatic vegetation, and then turn around and eat its way down. And you're just like, what is going, like, what's happening? With teeth like that, what do you expect? I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, you ever, I mean, you've seen that old show, Hee Haw. I mean, yeah. it's the Hee Haw. <laughs> I mean, so what do you expect from it, man? It's doing the best it can. (laughs) What are you saying? What are you, what are you kidding me? I, you know, Blaine did get the swamp trifecta. You got a, you got a redfish, a speckled trout and a flounder. Right. Oh, yeah. Listen, that probably doesn't happen that often on the fly. Only the best of the best. Yeah. Yeah, Just crushing. (laughs) Yeah, well, I, I retired after that, and uh, I hung out and drank a few beers, <laughs> as you should. Yeah, but um, let's start to talk about something. Move into some serious stuff here. You know, uh, you guys have been dealing with a lot, um, and I couldn't have been more proud of you. I know Tony too. Um, July sixth, you guys ponied up, and you guys went to a very serious meeting, and went to. Uh, kind of have your voice heard and you guys packed your trucks up instead of hitting the water that day you went you went to this meeting and to try to save redfish and you know i was on that meeting with tony for over five hours listening to the 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 trout comments and all that other garbage it's just unbelievable the the mentality with some of these people down there it's um you know i get some of it you know Every, I mean, human nature is reluctant to change. There, I mean, there's so many factors that, that go into that stuff. And I'm, you know, the the one common denominator that I hear in all these meetings that I attend online from the uh, the northeast to the mid Atlantic to the south to to where you guys are is these old school mentality captains and anglers that that feel the same way as those captains think that the only reason they get trips is because they have to have dock shots and they have to fill the cooler, which, and, and in my opinion, um, I got, I've been guiding for over 30 years and I promise you the clients that you get on your boat. And I guarantee you believe that too, because you, you do fly as well, but I know you have to do conventional too, to, uh, especially early on or whatnot. I love conventional fishing, right? So all of this stuff to me, doesn't make sense as an angler where they're talking about they have to take as many fish as possible to keep getting trips. When I think really when they're what they really should be trying to sell is the experience of the day on the water and trying to protect these fisheries. So they have that experience of, Hey, like you said, you go to the, you found these other places that you had to go to and it feels like back to where you used to be. Right. Battery recharge. Uh, yeah. Right. So I think as a paying customer, that is more important in the long term to to get on a boat over time. And then the next thing you know, you you've been fishing with this this say I've been fishing with you for 10 years. And you know, we've always kept a certain amount of fish and whatnot. And everybody else, you can only control what you can control as you as a guide yourself. But you have all these other factors that 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 fall into all this stuff, right? Um, and I don't care what you're throwing. I mean, you you could be 
doing anything. I mean, you could be throwing a freaking mono leader on a spool, hand lining. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. But if you keep taking X amount of fish out of a fishery and there's nothing left to catch, you're not going to have clients, period. Right. But what you can do is say, hey, I'm going to um, I'm going to offer an experience on the water with these people like we're going to just go fishing and have fun catching fish, put them back, keep a little bit of what you want. That's fine. But it doesn't you know, it's to me, it becomes an ego thing to say we're going to keep our limit every day on the water. And it's not we it's proven that it's not sustainable because I see it here in Virginia. I see it in Maryland. I see it in New York. I've seen it in South Carolina. I see it everywhere I go. And I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but it's a mentality that I think needs to change. And I think it's proven as the world that we live in now, there's so many environmental factors that we can't control. Um, there's The only thing that we can't control is how we act as a steward of our, of our fisheries. Um, so I know you feel the same way as I do. And, I, and I, like I said, I don't want to make, I don't want, I don't want to be picking on that, that mentality, but I, I just wish they would kind of understand a little bit. And I know you do too. I mean, what's your feeling about that? I mean, well, you know, Blaine, I, I say this, uh, so to like every guide, especially some of these younger guys that are kind of been starting out lately is, uh, you know, what makes a guide is your ability to um, offer an experience to uh, to anglers, to, to clients. And, and, you know, I think that's what separates good from great from, you know, from a guide that did it for a little while and then kind of, you know, faded out to a guy that's been doing it for, you know, 20, 30, you know, however long years. And, and what it is, is I always say, if you rely on the fish that you catch at the end of the day to make or break your day, if that's your selling point is like the result, the end result, you are never going to long-term make it as a guide. Um, in my opinion, you have to have an experience. It's about when you get on the water, you know, who you're fishing with. It's about your clients trusting that like, yeah, you know what? Like every day I go out there, I mean, I, I, I am going to do everything I can to catch a fish because I want my guys to catch fish. I mean, I'm, I'm really competitive. I'm, I'm really like, I like to go out and get it done. But that's not really what it's about. It's about the experience. It's about being on the water. I mean, you know, something that I, I like only recently have kind of really started to understand better is like, you know, I live a life where I'm on the water every single day, right? I mean, we're, we're fishing all the time. This guy in my boat, this is like his trip for the year. He's excited to just turn his cell phone off and get in the, and get in the boat and, you know, maybe see some fish, whatever. And he's just pumped to not be sitting at his desk. And when you start realizing that, like, that's kind of the baseline that your client's at and you can just go from there, um, you realize like, oh, I don't need to keep 30 fish or this guy's not going to want to give me a tip and come back next year and, and all this stuff. So it's super archaic. I mean, and, and I think in today's, uh, 
you know, world, everybody's more conscious of like the impact that we have on the, on, on a fishery, on the environment, whatever. I mean, we're more aware of like what we do is affecting and like more and more people are like, well, I don't know if I really want to just go out and like kill everything we find. I mean, like, you know, so for instance, I told you at the very start of this podcast, I like them water releasing my fish right now. Right. We caught, um, a fish today. It was a really nice, like high 20 pound redfish. And my client was like, I don't need a picture, man. Let's just let him go. And like, normally like that's even taking that a step further that what we're talking about here. Cause like, he's like, this guy doesn't even want to risk the idea of this fish getting hurt to like snap up photo in, in like 10 seconds and put it back in, you know? And it's like, that's where it, it you know, and, and what client I've never had a client that when I'm explaining this to them they're like well that's stupid like drop me back off i thought you were here to kill all these things <laughs> like you know yeah. it's like people think it's cool that you want to take care of something that they're interested in and like doing i mean that's kind of where it goes for me so yeah i mean at that meeting um it it, it was it's what you expect to see is is people with that kind of old school mindset about it but it's definitely like i think a lot of even like the younger guys that have kind of you know, because I being in the fly fishing world, I'm a little bit removed from that mentality, just, you know, of where I'm at. But even guys that are more in that world that are younger, I think kind of are realizing that it's like, that's not really what you need to make your business about. And it's probably not a good idea. Because like you said, what if we do start like, you know, it's harder to catch fish, they're not catching limits as easy as they used to. They're not even catching limits every day. So it's like, yeah, if that's what your business is about, guess what? It's going to suffer. But if you make it about something else, then even in the ups and downs of the fishery, which you're going to get, you know, you can withstand that stuff. And that's why it is an interesting thing talking about this, because, like, you know, we go to these meetings and, and you have all these uh, all these conventional guys. And I don't even want to generalize it like that, but old school guys that are like so emotionally charged and upset about this because like. Yeah, their livelihood is killing as many fish as they can. That's what it that's what they believe. We're all in the back, like, you know, I mean, there's less redfish, it's a problem. We absolutely need to do that, but we're not going out there and like, well, we can't kill enough to make this worth it. So it's kind of a very different perspective as far as that goes, for sure. And yeah, it's unsustainable. It, it the way I can like best relate it is like in the fly fishing world with these, with some of these young guys is if they make their business about the fish they catch. So if you make your business about the fish you can keep, it's not sustainable. And that's what you saw um, on July 6th for sure. was just a lot of like emotion from that um, for sure. A lot of things I think too, that go into this and um, Tony sees a lot more than he's been dealing with this a lot longer than I have. But, you know, I think some of the mentality too is people just don't want someone to tell them that they can't do something. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like it's kind of like the whole politics that's going on in the regular daily stuff is like, you know, um, people I I mean, people don't want someone to tell them that they can't do something they've been doing for most of their lives or all of their lives as far as far as that goes. Absolutely. And and it doesn't sometimes have to do with the, the fishery or any of that. It just has to do with like. I'll be damned. You know, it's like I didn't get it. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that's all I say I'm like, I'm sympathetic to that. Cause like, I mean, we're fishing guides, like, you know, 
I don't have a boss out there. I am, I am the, the buck stops with me no matter what. And so it's like, I get that feeling of like, I don't want people to tell me what to do, but what I think is so important. And like, I, I think you are starting to see this down here is like, let's look at the science. Let's look at the data. This is like, you know, there's no bias here. There's nothing that's people are trying to like target you and tell you, you can't do this because we don't like you. This is just what's happening in the fishery. This is just where it's at. And I would love to not get in people's business and say, you have to keep less redfish because it's going to help our red fishery and, and get everything, you know, feeling like it used to be. But if that's where we're at, that's where we're at. And, yep. uh, you know. And it rolls down. I mean, as they say, shit rolls downhill, right? So, yeah. Um, so does everything else. So, but what happens too is you start, you know, I don't know if you'd use speckled trout, for instance. I mean, we've talked about this over and over too, but they're not catching as many of those anymore. And they got to, they got to make their day happen. Right. So, oh, yeah. what ends up taking the place? Sheep's head, redfish, black drum, you name it, down the line, all that stuff. I mean, I've seen it here. I mean, it's like, you know, our striper fisheries declined. It's went, it's went downhill. The next thing, like they don't have those fish to target anymore. And mm -hmm. now Cobia is in the same spot. Cobia, I mean, they, they get zero break. Once they show up here in early May, uh, they get zero break until the ones that survived the gauntlet leave in uh, late September. And it's already proven that the, uh, this, the cobia fishery is declining quickly. I mean, I think the study they found is like the average fish is 13 inches smaller than it was just a few years ago. Wow. So what's that tell you? Yeah. <laughs> There's no adult, the adult fish are being killed. And, and you know, and what's going to happen then? Then you start seeing these world record giant sheep's head that we have here. That's another species that's getting just crushed. Well, I can uh, tell you what, sheep's head was not a thing that... uh you saw on the dock shots down here very often when I was a kid, it wasn't like it is now. And now it's just like, you know, dump them out by the trash can. <laughs> it's like insane. And, you know, people are keeping and eating sheep said that never, I mean, sheep said used to be like, Oh, throw that thing back. Now it's like, Oh, keep it. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely changed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I like eating fish, you know, it's, I'm not telling people they can't keep anything anymore. And I don't think you are or anybody else no. for that matter. I mean, fish are good, but you just got to be a little more thoughtful on how you do it. I mean, just, like I said, oh, yeah. I, I can only control what I do on the water with my people. And, but if everybody felt that way and didn't feel like they were in some kind of competition with the internet is what it really is anymore. Um, in my opinion, almost it's like, you know, if I don't come back with that full cooler, or if I don't have that giant fish shot or I call it X amount of what, or this or that, then I didn't have a successful day. I think that mentality, you know, we've all created that too in social media and oh, yeah. I'm guilty of that. I'm not going to pretend that I'm innocent of everything. I, you know, I, I did the whole grip and grins for years and, um, and I think in my fishery is, declined in a, a result of, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you gotta, you gotta kind of learn from your mistakes and move forward in a positive way to kind of help the fisheries out. Because in reality, the guides, especially guides, 
when we've I've talked about this a lot are the canary and the coal mines. And really, I mean, we're the ones, we're the watchdogs of our fisheries. We're the ones that are seeing things decline faster than the average angler. And I think we see the decline a lot faster than the biologists do. Um, I know we do. Um, I've had these conversations with a lot of fisheries biologists over the years. And for us to come to a meeting like you guys did the other day is super important because I saw the the interaction with a lot of you guys that came with with the science and the calm heads and 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 I, I the the rationale that made a whole lot of sense to the people up on in the board. And then they're asking questions back and forth to the biologists, you know, what can we do here? And then you guys start getting results. You know, I I saw a lot of people going up there and they kept talking about, you know, the the numbers of the fish being caught is not the problem. It's the degradation of the marsh and all that. And, you know, it's like, well, we can't control that. I mean, it's like that's not in our deal. One hundred percent. I mean, I've been like that's been something that is so critical in this whole thing to me is like it's time that we take some responsibility for the impact that we obviously have on the fishery and have had on the fishery up to this point and you know i'm not going to sit here and argue which is the is the biggest bad guy in the room as far as that stuff goes you know but it's very clear that we're um we're part of this equation that is a negative impact on the fishery and guess what if we all just admit that if we all just accept that and we keep a little less fish, we're going to be way better off. And that seems like a pretty like easy first step in the right direction um, to me, you know. And, That's the first and, thing that you control too, right? You can't, exactly. you can't control the environment. Uh, you can't no, control well, a hurricane coming in. Then you can't do that tomorrow, but you can well, control so- how many fish you catch tomorrow. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, some of the things you're get these guys are getting up there and talk about is one, the Mississippi River, which is like one of the it's the largest river in the country. I mean, like, what are we gonna, you know, what are we doing? Yeah, let's just change the way we're doing that next week, or like, you know, let's just like hurricanes or like you know oil stuff. It's like, look, this is these are ma- these are massive things. I mean, I, I I don't know even where to start with that if you can do anything, I mean, and so with some of that. And so it's like, yeah, let's just keep a little less fish, man. Let's just keep a little less fish. And to your point, um, I, I said this uh, to the, to the commission um, when I walked up there the second time um, I said, you know, we've all sat back here the last like six hours. I mean, like I was sitting next to a lot of those guys. I mean, I went up and got a drink of water. Some of those dudes didn't even get a drink of water. Like, I mean, that was like fasting slash like some kind of uh, like <laughs> exercise. Like we could have gone through some kind of like Navy SEAL training with that. I mean, there was no sustenance for like six hours. And I'm like, and we were there ready to go. And I'm like, man, you know, that should tell these guys, look, we're not, we're not here, you know, cause we're just like, we want to get up there and complain. Like we care about this and, and we're ready to, to do the right thing. And, you know, make the, I, and I think, make the, I think the old mess. school mentality too, down there is that they think what, and it's not exactly what we asked for, but you know, it was a surprise to see what, what the board ended up coming up with. Yes. And, yeah. and then you have pushbackers like we asked for way too much. That's never going to code through. It's like, well, you know what? Why not ask for the world? Exactly. 
you know, where, mean, where, where are you going to go wrong there? So let's talk about what, what, you know, what the, so the, uh, the worst thing that can happen there is you have more fish. Yeah. I know, right. <laughs> Terrible. So let's talk about the, the initial, like what, what the proposal was, how long that was going to take. And then what they ended up coming back with going back and forth from the testimony from you guides that were there. And I, yeah. and I watched every bit of this. Um, and I could see, I could see a momentum change. I could see where these, the board members up there, they were getting inspired by what you guys were saying. And the, what the, yeah, I felt so bad for that biologist. <laughs> like, oh, uh, I feel know. bad for him. Yeah. Well, the speckled trout thing, I felt really bad for him then. Cause it's just like, figure out a way to figure this out. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, did, I, know, right? I think I said to the commissioners, and I, I, I think I also said to, to Jason, Adrian. So I was like, "Yeah, I do not envy any of y'all." <laughs> you did. I, mean, I remember you saying that you were very. I thanked them. I was like, "Thank you for sitting through this." <laughs> but yeah, so you know, we walked into that meeting with like a thirty-five percent uh, uh, change to the management reduction in the in the regulation there, um, and basically what we were looking at with that was like a 30 year uh, time frame on like getting the escapement ratio up to what, what they want to see uh, as far as like recovering. So 30 year time frame. Um, and I think everybody down here, uh, including like people that I've talked to that um, are on all sides of this, think that trying to plan for something that far away is just like, how are we doing that? I mean, you know, it's really interesting. Um, I don't, I, I've only thought about this more as I've like talked to some of you guys, because our life is, is very different down here because we could just have a hurricane come in and like, you could, it could change your whole life in like a year, two years, you know, I, where I live right now, when Katrina came through, when you saw the pictures of like houses moved like three streets over off the foundation and like cars on top of people's roofs, that's where I live. Like, right there that's where those pictures were taken and like when you think about that it's like man you know a lot can change in a few years and so when you start talking to people down here 30 years i mean it's like man that's a that's a lifetime i mean that's that's crazy and so so much can happen and so that was a big um and i think that's what really resonated with the commission is like like what are we doing i mean like why are why are we trying to to do the bare minimum and get by and hopefully 30 years down the road this is where we want it to be um and that was kind of one of our big points was like let's let's really do something the right way but um let's get this right the first time and and do what's right for the fishery and uh the commission you know we went up to a 55 percent is what was uh passed with the noi um you're looking at like a three fish 18 to 24 which is a significant change but um uh, you and know, that's, that's a 10-year like recovery versus 30. Yeah, right? yeah. More or less 10 years. I mean, that's like game changer, total different uh you that's know, copyrighted, I man. I was about to say, I keep I keep weaving in some shout-outs. Uh so <laughs> yeah. you're welcome. That's copyrighted, not not to be used without the express reading consent of uh, Blaine uh, Chocolate and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, LLC. That was unintentional, <laughs> Mr. Chocolate. But, <laughs> oh, but um, yeah, I mean 10 years. Now you're talking. I mean, uh, 
that's a totally different thing. So and Bailey, think- Bailey, before somebody that I'm not going to mention, you know, I'm not going to mention names here, multiple names, but before somebody's like, oh, silly people, they don't know how redfish are managed in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> so like, <clears throat> redfish are managed on what's called an escapement rate, and what Blaine and Bailey are talking about is um, the spawning potential ratio, right? So escapement rate is how many little baby redfish make it to be big redfish that can make more little baby redfish. So it's just a percentage, right? It's a ratio. So the way that I would explain it is like, you know, that the target is 30%. So 30% of 10,000, it's okay. 30% of 10 million. That's what we're, that's, we're cooking with gas there, right? It's just a percentage. So it's kind of like narrow. It's kind of looking through the keyhole, like uh, Mr. Dahlberg would say, Uh, if you're like, no, they're only managed on escapement rate. Well, you know, escapement ratio. And, you know, that doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't have a lot of adult fish in the system that are making those babies. So, yeah, exactly. You know, what, what they're talking about with the 30, the 30 year deal is the spawning potential ratio. And everybody mm-hmm. knows redfish live a long time. So, you know, it, it, biologically and if anyone wants to debate me on this send me an email at info at saltwaterguidesassociation.org and we more than welcome you on to this podcast and uh we can hash it out um so what who you know it's not like the escapement rate and the spawning potential ratio aren't linked right one is how many babies make it to adults the other is how many adults are out there to make babies so happy to hash that out with anyone um uh, spoiler alert you will lose um <laughs> but you know s- thrilled thrilled to hash that out with anyone because we call saw a couple smirks in the room during the meeting and um that kind of got me mad and uh it's probably not a good place for you to be if i'm mad and you're smirking so um so it's completely and utterly ludicrous when you think of all the things that we discussed storms changes in the marsh more people fishing to be like yeah they'll be rebuilt in 30 years if you get past 10 years really you don't you have no idea what's gonna yeah, happen you're throwing a hail you're, mary you are you like a, yeah a blindfolded one. blindfolded <laughs> blindfolded hail mary right and you don't even and they spin you around three times before you throw the ball like you don't yeah. even know what direction the your team's in so you know um I think it's a it's a disservice to generations to come. It's a disservice to the guide community. Uh, save a few people in the room. A lot of them are advocates. You know, I, I think generally um, the angling community in Louisiana has not been well educated, and that is not that is not a slight on the angling community. That is a slight on the people that should have been educating them. Um, because I think once you sit down and explain to a guide or an angler in Louisiana, what all of this means, their reaction is like, holy crap, I support that. 100%. They've never, I've had that conversation with people. Sorry, but, uh, I definitely think that's worth chiming in on. Like I've had conversations with people down here that were like, "Eh, I don't know. It seems like kind of a pretty, uh, you know, drastic cut. And then you're like, well, here's why. And they're like, oh, okay. Like I can keep a few less redfish for a little while and and not worry about that. And, you know, my kids will actually have fish to fish for someday <laughs> instead of nothing. 
I mean, redfish, look, let's be honest, before the 1980s, redfish weren't high on the list of what y'all eat. I know because my family's from there. So listen, redfish are not like, I would not put them categorically in the same place as like a flounder. Uh, like a flounder fresh, like our summer flounder on the East Coast, fresh from the ocean. Um, you know, or like a wahoo or, you know, a lot of other species that we catch. I'm not saying they don't taste good, but I'm not saying like, I've never looked at a redfish and been like, you're dead. Like I'm killing well, you and I'm taking people you. down here. If they want a speckled trout or a redfish, as far as what to bring home. Oh, it's going to be speckled trout every, speckled trout <laughs> every, every time. time, every time, every time, even me. Like, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's y'all's, that's like, part of the program but even let's take fish out of the equation y'all have crawfish shrimp and crabs now i try to explain to people don't I leave oysters out of it i mean yeah, that's true oysters don't leave too. oysters out of it well oysters too right i'm sorry about sorry sorry char grilled oh, oysters I'll, i'm sorry about that um but i mean look i tell people in maryland like crabs are an afterthought in louisiana because of shrimp crawfish and oysters i'm not saying they don't eat them i'm not saying they don't like them but i'm saying if you have a boil and you throw all that on the table the shrimp the sauce everything on the table the last thing that's probably going to be sitting on the table is a crab and people are going to eat the shrimp first and the others i mean dude it's just not high on the list of like, Hey, let's, you know, we're taking this away and you can't eat it. Um, it's just, I, I don't, let's, you know, it's all, it's also intertwined. Like you bring speckled trout back, you take the pressure off redfish, right? You take the pressure off sheep's head, you take the pressure off. I'm sure triple tail are getting the shit whacked out of them. Right. Oh, now. Yeah. Right now is open season on them. It's yeah. like serious business. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, it's like a, it's like a bread basket of everything seafood down there, and it's uh, redfish are pretty far down the chain. On if people could have anything they want to eat, I think they'd pick three or four or five things first before a redfish. Oh yeah, seafood oh, yeah. wise, for sure. Yeah, I don't know anybody that's like uh, relying on the the redfish as their primary form of sustenance at this point in time. They're kind of a pain Nobody in the ass to clean too, not for nothing. They're definitely mean. a lot harder. I can I can get through some speckled trout way quicker cleaning them than a redfish for sure. I mean listen, my wife, if I want to like score bonus points, my wife, the best way is to bring home a fish. Like I'm good. I can do whatever I want for the next week if I bring her some fish home. And uh it's not redfish, it's speckled trout. So like you know, that's that's what everybody likes to eat. Just pan fry some speckled trout. You're good. Yeah, so um so Bailey, I was kinda like I had a big question mark on my head. And I figure by the time this thing gets edited, we'll we'll release this, I guess, with the blog that I'm gonna write. So we might as well kind of get into this and leave people at the end with some stuff to think about. So the other earlier this week, so today's Friday, the 21st. So on Tuesday, 
I basically got a little birdie landed on my windowsill and told me basically that the fix was in and that the oversight house senate oversight house senate house senate natural resources committee in the state house in louisiana um the chairman informed interested parties that our uh our push for a 55 percent reduction on redfish was dead on arrival now for everyone who hasn't been playing along the comment period goes for the notice of intent for change of regulations goes until October 5th. And word going around on Tuesday, whatever Tuesday was, the 18th, whatever the hell it was, I don't know, I'm terrible at math. Um, they said it was dead on arrival. So I'm kind of curious if elected officials in Louisiana don't really represent the people they elected or they just don't care about the comments or I'm not really sure. Well, I don't, I, I I don't mean, know. I, what, I don't know what it is, um, but we're going to just, here's another spoiler alert. It's not going to deter us in the least. <laughs> we're going to well, keep fighting. I, 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 I'm, it's good to hear that. And, and as you, you know, my thoughts on all that stuff, uh, you know, as far as that doesn't deter any of us down here. I think it's pretty apparent um, when you're going to have something like that um, leak out, you know, months before public comments have been considered, uh, you know, there's obviously something going on with that. And obviously the public opinion one way or the other is not being taken into account. I don't know how it could be. Um, and that's what this should be about. Well, Bailey, uh, let me, let me ask you a question. Seeing as like <clears throat> you've lived there your whole life, how do you think the people of Louisiana are going to react when they read our blog that we're going to put out and they listen to this podcast that we did and they find out that their elected officials have decided just short of 90 days in advance of a public comment period over that they're not going to accept something, not even read their comments, not even take them into account when it's a, supposed to be a public process? You know, I'll say two things to that. And the first thing I'll say to that is prior to finding that out, uh, I think a lot of people down here were were ready to really look at a change like this and, and really kind of like, okay, we need to do something. So that was the first thing is like, I've seen as a guide, as a, as a local Louisiana native, I've seen public opinion come around to conservation and to doing stuff like, you know, being more conservation minded about the fishery. I've seen that naturally occurring. But then when you have that's happening and now all of a sudden we're not going to have our voices heard apparently because this thing's already set in stone and decided and dead on arrival um, to use the, the words you use. I mean, that's like, I mean, people are going to be pissed. That's that who who likes that? I mean, who who thinks that's OK? And, and and it's almost a slap in the face uh, to me as a as a citizen of Louisiana. Like you're going to. Like you're really going to do that and that. It's like we are months before this thing is, is coming to play 
and you've already got that figured out, like, okay, I mean, how, what do you even think of us as the, the, the public? I mean, it, it's offensive, honestly. It's so, it's so bad. It's offensive at that point. So like, that's how I feel. I feel like a lot of people are going to feel that way. They're going to be mad for sure. People down here, like, you don't want to hear about that crap. I mean, come on. Yeah, the whole the whole thing is like a couple things. Fisheries should not be partisan. Everyone should care about fisheries. Republican, Democrat, Independent, I don't care. Okay, because it's it is so re- recreation is a bigger component of the gross domestic product in the United States. Well, obviously, it's gross domestic products would be in the United States. In the United States as farming and mining combined. The number one contributor to recreation is fishing and boating. The number two is light years away, and it's RVing and camping. So we are, we are bigger as a community than farming and mining together. We do more for this country. That's number one. Number two, the thought of having a comment period and elected officials being very open and candid and saying this is over before the comments are even in is patently absurd. N- number three is why. Does the state legislature in Louisiana have the right to regulate fisheries? Is this something from like the Napoleonic Code? When the, hey, as a matter of fact, my relatives probably helped craft the Louisiana state constitution. Okay, seriously, like, don't make me go back in my, don't make me go back in my family tree. Like, that's where, you know, that's where this is coming from, like hundreds of years ago. And, Here's here's how it should work. The, the biologists at the state agency at Wildlife and Fish in Louisiana should come up with the science. They should sit down and talk to the commissioners, the state commissioners about it. It should go out for public comment. Everything should be weighed. What's best for the resource? What's best for the economy? What's best for everything? And then it should all be jumbled up the state agency should make a recommendation based on all of that and the commission passes it the thought that y'all have to go that extra step to the legislature one stinks to high heaven and two you have a lot of people who are not experts on this look if you're a state legislature you got to understand everything that goes on in the state okay What's the budget? What's crime? What's, you know, is there a drug problem? Do, 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 does a certain community need help? What kind of emergency services do we have? Are the police and the fire department getting the help that they need? You know, fisheries, right? You can't be an expert on fisheries if you have all that stuff going on. I'm an expert on literally nothing but fisheries. Zero, because it's all I do. If I had to do 10 things, I promise you I'd be terrible at nine and a half of them. So like you can't 
be you can't be an inch wide and a mile deep and really truly understand something. And if you look at the state of Louisiana, redfish are keeping southern Louisiana afloat. The petroleum industry is kind of leaving Louisiana. They've all kind of migrated back to Houston. Crimes up in New Orleans. You know, there's a lot of, you got a lot of problems with interest rates, housing problems. Redfish are floating the economy, pun intended. Game changer. Just kidding. <laughs> um, they're floating the economy. And literally, you know, for y'all who have unfortunately not been able to go to southern Louisiana, it's just one small business after another. There's no tall buildings. There's no, it's not like there's just like this one big town south of New Orleans and that's where all the economy and the commerce is or something like that. It's pretty much one small mom and pop restaurant, general store, gas station, you know, fishing guides. It's very rural. Everybody knows each other. There's a little farming that goes on. You know, but, you know, you're talking about like salt of the earth, no big industry to bolster it except redfish. And I don't I don't think I don't think with that kind of landscape. I don't know how Louisiana can't legislators. Well, I mean, first of all, they don't even want to listen to the public. So I'm I'm talking, you know. I'm talking out of both sides of my head, apparently, but I don't know how you don't recognize that and fight for your people and make sure that the natural resources are front and center and a top priority. Um, because if the people who, the fishing tourists who go to Louisiana and make the largest economic contribution are traveling from out of state, and trust me when I tell you this, they have the economic wherewithal to fish anywhere that they want. And if, and if, and if the fishing gets below a certain point, they will choose to do that. And then you're in real, real trouble. So, yep. Ain't Bring that a bitch. Stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we have we have people from all over the world that come fish here. I mean, I was uh, you know I've got a guy that's been here the last two weeks with me that's from Portland, Oregon area, not actually from Portland, Oregon, but he got that's it, that. But that does qualify as another world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Um, we have uh, we I've got guys from San Francisco coming next week. My buddy uh, has got a client coming from Scotland for the next fourteen days, starting next week. You know, we, we have people that come from all over and, you know, Tony, what you were saying. So, right. We have people that go to like, you know, Cosmolita, uh, you know, South America, Patagonia, wherever. And then Louisiana is on that list of destinations that they're, you know, going to and returning to. And you hate to see that, uh, be threatened to fall out of that kind of, you know, uh, upper echelon of, of destinations for sure. Cause that's kind of what's at stake in a lot of ways. A lot of people don't realize that down here, just the level of like global, uh, angling, 
uh, well, Blaine, Blaine, can I get a show of hands on people who used to live in areas that got global attention and the wheels have come off and the global attention has left our area and gone other places? Blaine's, Blaine's fishery in central and southern Virginia, my fishery in the Chesapeake Bay. I don't think I could convince somebody where I live in the mid Bay region. I don't think I could convince somebody to drive an hour and a half to Fisher now, like from like central Maryland or like Northern Delaware. I couldn't convince them to come here. It's not worth it. Much less fly from Scotland or even further Portland, Oregon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, nobody send me a map of the world. I'm just, it's a joke. You ninnies. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know, man, I'm pretty, I'm pretty disappointed. Um, I think when I, when I spoke to, when I spoke to the Louisiana guys the other night, um, I told them all about this and I, and I asked them, I said, I'm going to reserve my comment until I find out what y'all want to do. And simultaneously, several voices over the phone said, basically said, fight. So that's what we're going to do. And um, despite, despite Blaine's in, despite the fact that, you know, kind of the deck is stacked against us and, and apparently the decision's already been made. Um, the one thing that I've found is you can exert pressure on bureaucrats and elected officials in fascinating ways. Um, and um yeah I, I i think step one is show them how much of this country cares about this fishery and wants to fish here and when they did fish here fell in love with it uh and that's going to be step one so, and fell in love with the state i mean just to throw that out there i mean how many times have i told here? you when the wheels hit the ground in new orleans i'm like oh oh my god i'm home and like i'm not gonna pick on any place else but there's other places where i'm like oh my god i'm Why back here? here again you know <laughs> like <laughs> oh i can't tell you how many clients are like they come for the fishing but like what keeps them you know connected is not just the fishing it's like the culture it's just the whole like everything that louisiana is i mean that's definitely part of it for sure it exposes people to our part of the world. We're a really unique area of the of the world, really. I'll tell you what, if you want to, I can, we're, we're doing an economic impact survey and, and hopefully we'll make some serious progress. We did that. We're going to make some serious progress on that next week. But Blaine and I did our own economic impact when we landed. And I'm pretty sure within the first four hours, we had spent $300 on beer and food. Uh, and not in that order or maybe in that order. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Ron Ratliff, Ron Ratliff was on the podcast and he actually stopped and said, Tony can eat. And I take that as a, <laughs> I take that as a compliment from Ron. Right. I mean, if, if, if Ron Ratliff says that about you, you have impressed him in a certain way. Like, 
Oh, listen, I'm literally getting done with this with this podcast uh, and hopping in the shower and going to uh, Commander's Palace with like eight dudes, all my clients that have been here for the last week. And that's like the tradition is like, all right, we've just fished, we've sweated through everything we have. Let's go feast last night here and, uh, you know, do the New Orleans thing. Oh, my God. Sounds it sounds lovely. Well, I don't want to I don't want to hold you up from that kind of wonderful dinner or keep your clients keep your clients waiting. So uh, let's get you on the road, Bailey. And you know, everyone, please, when this comes out and you hear this, we'll launch this in the blog at the same time, so you can understand exactly what we're up against in Louisiana and what Redfish Recovery is up against. And, uh, and we hope you join us in the fight. Um, really appreciate Blaine hopping on here and hosting this podcast with Bailey. And look forward to, uh, to having y'all hop on this podcast again and listen to our next awesome guests and more stories about fisheries that we care about.